Hey folks, welcome to Navigating Life as We Know It. This is Alex, usually producer, but once again hopping into the host chair to lead the episode of Navigating Life with Liam. This is part two, where we're going to be starting in November of 1988 and rolling on through to February of 1989. Now, this particular episode needs to come with a disclaimer. We are talking about a time of extreme trauma for us. This is when Nicholas passed and when many very serious operations went on. So if that's something you have a hard time with, then this might not be the episode to listen to. We felt it was important to share it because everyone goes through traumas like this and it's important to remember that we're not alone. So without any further ado, I will take us right back to Navigating Life with Liam. I am interviewing Steve and Carrie, your usual hosts. Additionally, there will not be a chat cafe in this episode because it doesn't really fit in very well. Let's dive back in. Okay. So, have you guys been uh, excited for episode two of Navigating Life with Liam? Cautiously. I wouldn't say excited. This one is not a, it's not a happy topic, and people usually end up looking at you terrified when you say, start talking about this part of our history. Yeah, true. I know that uh, that was something. A lot of times when I was younger, when people would ask, like, "Oh, what happened?" Well. <sighs> You're going to think this is dark, but this is just me. I'm used to it, so let's roll into it now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if you recall this, but we were at a store when you were very young. I know. Yeah. In, in uh, Colorado. Well, go ahead and tell the story. You might as well. <laughs> yeah, in Colorado. And and, um, and uh, it was an older couple that was running it, and your mom and I were looking at something, and we had Liam there. And I don't know what they ask you, but you said, my brother died. <laughs> And they got this look of horror. Gas, yeah, oh. horror on their face. And I, I don't know what precipitated that conversation. And you were only like two, so you probably don't remember it. Yeah, people aren't used to two-year-olds talking about mortality, just like this offhand. It's not casual. common. It's not common. Not when you would bring the subject, and you would bring the subject up. It was just like, oh, geez, you know, dude, we don't have to let everybody know. It's okay. What can I say? I wanted to advocate when I was a child, too. This yeah. is true. Or tell stories, either one. They're both my hobbies. Right. Well, so we, we've been, our last episode, we were talking about where we came from with the pregnancy leading up to just a few days after their birth. Now, we're going to be talking about the month of December, starting with, well, let's start with well, the, tomorrow. We are recording this on the 29th of November. We did have to do some exciting jury rigging here. We've got a, a socially distanced recording session because I am still recovering from uh, COVID. So if there's any weirdness, it's because we are stitching together two tracks recorded in two different locations for the first time ever. So this <laughs> is going to be exciting. Let's dive in. Okay. So, I'm going to start off with a really hardball question here, and I am sorry, but when you got the call, when you found out, what, how, how did that go down? Okay, well, it was 32 years ago today that Nicholas passed away, and we didn't so much as get the call as we were there when it happened. We got the call to come in, and um, I don't remember, it was early in the morning, I can't recall. I don't, you know, it blurs because we made so many trips to Children's Hospital late in the morning, early in the afternoon. Usually it was late at night we get the call because that's why I can't stay on the phone ringing at night. 
And um, we were we, supposed to go to my parents for Thanksgiving. Well, we had gone to your sister Patrice's house for Thanksgiving that year. Mm-mm. We were going to mom's because mom wrote a yes because mom wrote a prayer. Okay, but uh, we got the call on the um, evening of the 29th. And uh, we kind of figured it was probably the end of this. Well, adventure. you know what they they called fairly often at this point. Come in, sign, but give us a verbal because he may not make it. It's very grave. It's very serious. And we yeah, were it was this weird PTSD kind of situation where it had happened so many times now that yeah. So we just called. Usually called Steve's mom because she had more flexibility. My mom was working at the time. So Steve's mom would come over to manage Holly, Eric, and Becky, get them off to school, whatever. And if it was in the night, she'd just come over and just sleep at our house on the couch, fully dressed, because that's grandma. Um, Yeah. And just be there in the morning. So we would call her and then jump in the car and leave and how far was how far was the hospital what was that from the south side the suburbs of uh, all the way up to the north side of Chicago it in terms of miles I don't know but it probably took about an hour and a half to get there yeah. well maybe not traveling in the middle of the night yeah well you know I was gonna say about 45 minutes at so least 45 minutes I can minutes. imagine Chicago traffic is better in the wee hours yeah. just but a little bit but it's still there which totally freaked me out it's like what are these people doing at 3 o'clock in the morning what the hell you might not want to know I don't know I don't know but <laughs> anyway anyway so we go to the hospital we gown up we scrub up we have to be we have to be wearing gowns and everything to go into the neonatal unit and um Nicholas is failing uh badly and we did all the things that we did and prior to this my sister Patrice told me that one of the reasons that Nicholas was struggling so hard was for us and that we needed to tell him that it would be okay to let go and that we would be okay. And those were the hardest words that I had to say. I can't even imagine. Well, it uh, it it was almost surreal, but yeah, we had to say it out loud. The nurses again were just above and beyond phenomenal. Um, that was the only time I was able to actually hold Nicholas in my arms. Um, was. As he took his last breath, and the, that was... um, uh, they they both uh, twins were uh, intentionally paralyzed all this time. They had given them medication so they wouldn't move because they don't want with the wires and the hoses and stuff, and 
they didn't want anything disturbed. So they were they were intentional. <laughs> you have Mr. Newborn remove his um, yeah, tube, ex- yeah, so. he extubated himself. Well, they were intentionally uh, immobilized, and so we could not, we could never pick him up. And so, it near the end, what they did is they, uh, with the hoses and everything else still on it, they put Nicholas into your mother's arms, and she sat in a rocking chair. And it's like one of those things on TV where you're watching the uh, the chart, you know, the the TV screen, and you can see the heartbeat or, and the respiration. Or you're not even really watching it, but you're very aware of it. it it's almost like I, I really felt at that point that I was watching this outside of my body, like it was surreal that this was going on. I couldn't believe it. It's like I'm I'm in the middle of a bad play, and I'm casted as a part that I do not want to play, but I I could see it slowing down and slowing down, and slowing down, till finally it flatlined. And there wasn't any alarms that go off, it just quietly flatlined. And uh, that was hard. I mean, the, the, the hard part of it was, obviously, uh, here's my wife, and the mother of this child, and the mother of all of my kids. And, and she's brokenhearted, but quietly sitting there rocking him. I'm, I'm mourning... I don't know how many different things at the same time. And it was really, really difficult to be there because I would have signed my soul away to the devil. I would have made a deal at that point. I would have done anything. But I was totally, I guess the word is emasculated. There's nothing I could do. I'm, I'm supposed to be the, the protector and the, the father and the, the you know, uh, Provider. The provider and all that. And, yep. and I could do nothing. And it was just being taken away in front of me, totally powerless. And that is probably the horriblest hour or whatever it took. I don't know. It could have taken several hours. It could have taken 15 minutes. I'm, there is no way it could track time as to how that happened. But watching her heartbreak and then watching Liam pass. And then no, Nicholas, Nicholas, I'm sorry. And then later in that day, having to go home and tell the kids that he had passed away and tell my mother that he had passed away. And I feel like I was the bearer of horrible news in, in my pain. I'm also carrying the pain of the message I'm delivering to other people. And I don't want to do that again. <laughs> it was, it was bad. I can't imagine. Like I said, it's, it's, Utterly unimaginable. And then, of course, you didn't exactly have the luxury of being able to break down because there was Liam, there were the other kids, there was life continued onwards, well, and there was no great pausing. They did, um, after he had passed away, your mom and I went into a separate room and they brought Nicholas in with all the wires taken off so that he was just like a natural baby and we got to hold him at that point. And... They were so, again, so wonderful and so gracious to us. Uh, and most of the nurses were as uh, broken up about this as we were. And uh, we were all crying and there were tears everywhere. And they were just, they were just very wonderful and, and said, you know, let's bring, let's, let us clean Nicholas up and then we'll bring him into you. And they did. And they said, 
stay as long as you want. You stay as long as you want in here with him. It's just you guys. We were in a room by ourselves, just us and him. And it was just a fabulous, fabulous opportunity to walk walk in that grief water. Because um, you're going to have to. You're going to have to walk into it sooner or later. So, And they just gave us such wonderful, beautiful spaces to do that in. Um, I didn't know how wonderful they were at the time, but they were just phenomenal. And uh, so then we left the hospital. And I remember we stopped at a shop on the way oh, home. Yeah. <laughs> because I... I knew we were going to be burying him, and I had to have a. I wanted a christening gown to bury him in, and we went into this shop, and I found this beautiful christening gown, and the sales lady was just like, "Oh, this is just gorgeous. This is so beautiful. This is going to be such an heirloom. Your your baby's going to pass it down to their baby," and and the whole time I'm Oof. thinking in my head, "No, pretty much not. This is going to get buried with him." And we didn't want to. Shop. I no, I didn't tell her that because anything. she again. Oh my, oh my! But you know, I I was thinking, wow, wow, this is hard. This is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. You know, I have to mention something at this point that when I was, um, I had to be, oh, early twenties. I had the occasion to speak with an older gentleman who was in his probably mid to late seventies. And um, his name was um, Bill. And he was telling me at that time about uh, his son, uh, Albert. And Albert was hit by a car when he was riding his bicycle when he was like 12 to 14 years old. So we're talking about something that happened probably in the 1930s. And as he was talking to me, he started breaking up and crying. And at that time, I was thinking, oh, come on, 30 years have passed. Uh, You know, certainly you can... Get over Talk, it. Yeah, like get over which is, of course, you never do. But certainly, I couldn't understand the effect on him. And I'm having a hard time holding it together now, 32 years later. So uh, I certainly, as you get older, you gain a little bit of understanding and wisdom about human emotion and how it affects you long term. Well, and also, there is, as we've discussed a little bit in our last one, there are the aspects of this is your child. I mean, you've got millions of years of humans behind it saying that you need protecting this is important and losing is bad. Right. Right. But it's not just a, a child that you lose. It's, it's all of the uh, thoughts and the ideas and the potential and the dreams and all this other stuff was also lost at the same time. It was also Liam's uh, other half, his twin brother, that he's never going to know. He's he's gone and oh. uh, there's so many things. We have an internal debate about how much he knows about that. Cause, uh, yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, I mean, but, you know, I'm thinking well, he didn't get to know him as a, as a, you know, a peer. There was that uh, loss, yes. you know, that he wouldn't know him as a peer and he wouldn't know, you know, here I am five and here he is five. And what are we doing now? And what are we doing now? And, you know, all of that gone, 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 all of it gone. Learning how to drive, gone. I would like to do a session sometime or an episode on the stupid, hurtful things people say when they're trying to be kind and considerate. 
And uh, it's hard to believe this, but we actually did have people say things like, well, if he had lived, he would have been severely disabled. So good thing he died. What? They didn't say good thing he died, but the implication was that, well, it was a merciful thing that he died. Right. Well. And what I... what. But that's what not I, this one. What I want to blurt out is then I guess we should kill all the disabled people, right? I mean, it, it was not even a thought that crossed my mind that, well, at least he died because he was disabled. I mean, that's, I don't understand that. And then the other one was, well, at least you have the one, which is like. Oh, yeah, you got the you, you, you got one and a spare, so. But, you know, that, the, what's interesting <laughs> yeah. about what's interesting about that, at least you have the one, Um. You know, we we were joyful at the time that we knew we were having twins. We were scared to death when we found out about the pregnancy that, that I mean, the early uh, delivery. And then we are, again, the emotions whipping back and forth. And again, we're, we're devastated by the loss of one. And then Liam was not out of the woods because he had several, many, many, I can't know how many surgeries he had in which they said that he needs us. It's an emergency surgery. We had to give a verbal authorization even after Nicholas had passed away over the phone as we're rushing down to the hospital for an emergency surgery to save his life over and over was, and over and over again. And every time- He was having critical surgeries when I was, when I have memory, so- yeah. And a lot of those were orthopedic, but there was also neurological surgery. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I, um, in preparation for this, I was thinking about how in life you go through different inflection points. You know, that's the day in which you realize when something happens that nothing in your life will ever be the same again. If you had any plans, forget it. They're all being reformulated, recalculated, like the old GPS used to say, you know, uh, recalculation, recalculation, if you remember those. But it's it's like everything you had expected and worked for is now off the table. Everything that's going forward is unknown. And you can have an inflection point in a good way. Uh, just think of somebody winning the lottery or you fall in love or you get married. Those are inflection points that are, are happy. Or the death of a loved one, the death of a parent, the death of a child, the death of... Uh, there's a lot of different inflection points in which you know that your life will be so very different. And we were having them bing, 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 one after the other. It's like, it was like being nuked because you couldn't even know what path you were on. And then you had another um, inflection point coming along. So it, yeah, it, it does create trauma and, PTSD, I'm sure, because there's times in which, I, I swear to God, if I hear a phone ring in the middle of the night, you never get good news. Even most bad news, they'll wait till the morning. But if you get it ringing at three o'clock in the morning, I just go into a panic attack because I've been trained to do that now. <laughs> and I, I don't know any other reaction. How could you, unless someone says, I'm going to call you at three o'clock in the morning. Okay, I know this call is coming in, but when it rings without knowing it, it's, oh my God, nothing could, nothing good comes of this. <laughs> but Oh yeah, that it, it's, is the truth. It, it's, uh, it's difficult. And, and you alluded earlier about that you think that, that, Al, that Liam does have some knowledge of his brother. And we can't say that he doesn't because there were times in, he would just start laughing for no apparent reason. 
and we would always say that Nicholas was telling him jokes. And it was really, I mean, it was like he was getting a punchline and we're sitting there looking at him and he's just breaking down laughing. And so is he? I don't know. Maybe he sees things we don't. But, well, but twins are weird. There is the story of of uh, the song. Yeah, no. Oh, yeah. So after... Oh, yeah, I know this one. Uh, yeah. yeah, you go ahead. I have a hard time with this one. Well, you start. I'll okay. pick up where you, you can. Um, when Nicholas passed away, we did have a memorial service for him at the uh, at Sacred Heart Holy Sepulchre Cemetery mm-hmm. in... in um, where they they donated everything for us because it was a, a child, and we were trying to figure out but what. Kind that's of, where my grandparents are, and he was able to be buried by my grandparents. Okay. We we were picking out some music to play, and one of the songs that had it was an oldie by then, mm-hmm. by 1988, by Dan Fogelberg is longer than. Mm-hmm. And I can't recite all the words, but longer than there's been oceans and longer than, you know, the stars in the sky, I'll be in love with you. Mm-hmm. And so we decided to play that in the background because it was a song that had meaning to both of us. And it seemed very appropriate uh, for this occasion. And so we did play that. And um, and it was, uh, I don't remember much about the service. I really don't. People showed up. They They said... I just heard like like you know Charlie Brown's mother wah, 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 wah. yeah it doesn't it didn't register because we're in total shock um but you're just hearing the Charlie Brown voice right yeah I mean the the, the 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 kindest thing one thing you know one of our friends a uh, Lutheran pastor uh, um Don Borling Don Borling uh officiated at this and he just walked up and he smiled and gave me a hug and said nothing. And that was the best. I remember that. I don't remember anything anybody else said, except that he was just there. Okay. So. Well, I remember uh, the the casket was open at the, at the very beginning, and that was for me, yeah. because I had some things that I wanted to put in with Nicholas. Um. And my family tradition is a um, a garment that's made for the uh, babies that are baptized. And um, typically, the godmother creates this garment, and it has the child's name and the date they were baptized. Well, of course, the twins were baptized the minute they were born, well, five minutes after they were born. Before they left the hospital, they were baptized. Um, thank you, Florence Marie. Uh, and... My mom made this garment. Well, that's something that typically the I would keep. On, that's mine as the mother, and so I I wanted that back. So while he had that on him for the whatever for the short period of time, I wanted it back. So I took that. But Scott, Uncle Scott, gave him a teddy bear to take with him, and there was just a couple other things that were in with him. And, but that was more for me. I wanted that. I needed that. I wanted to make sure that he was okay before we closed that. Well, Patrice came to the doorway, saw that it was open, and froze. And Patrice is one of my older sisters who had had a stillborn. And uh, she she was like, I, I, I can't go in there. I, I can't go in there. 
And I was standing by the doorway, and I just said, that's okay, Pat. You don't have to go in here. This is for me. This is not for you. Okay? That's fine. Don't do this. I'm fine with that. This is for me. And then, you know, we closed it, and we finished up, and and it was fine. It was no big deal. I did not ha- I did not harbor any guilt or, or hard feelings to her. It was, was not about making people do things they were uncomfortable with. And she was uncomfortable because her stillborn baby she never saw. She never saw her baby. She didn't look at her baby. She she didn't want to do that at that time because it was too hard. And so this brought a lot of things back to her because right. she had the same PTSD that we exactly. have experienced. You know, just exactly. So one of the things that nobody should ever have to bury a child. Right. Right. Something something that I, I like to clarify whenever whenever I'm discussing this with someone who asks me or if we get a discussion, it's important to say that one of the, I, I personally view it as a good thing, but some people view it as a kind of a morbid thing is family wise, especially on the Howard side, we have a rather, um, from what I found unique relationship with death and the grieving process. I don't, find many people that have the same approach to it, which is very much the funeral is for the living. Mm -hmm. It's for people to come and mourn. It's the person who's gone is gone. You're there to say goodbye. It's about you. It's about what you're able to handle. Right. I've noticed some people look at that and they think it's kind of freaky at the same time when we've had um, services where you have the large Howard contingent and then another contingent there. They look at us as if we're some weird heathen mob because we like to also um, tell stories. We connect. We cry. We are loud. We, we, we bond in all things. And we play music. And that's... It's an Irish family. We play family. music. We play sometimes very strange music because it makes us happy at that moment. And you know what? That's what it's about. And it's the music that this person loved, so we're playing it. Okay. Yep. Getting back to the we're music the music end of the story. So we played Longer Than and some other songs, too. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, this song was not being played on the radio. It was an oldie for sure. Never when we visited the NICU, the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit, was there ever music at the hospital. Mm-hmm. There was a radio right above the boys. I never heard it playing music. Oh, well. I was there more often. I was there every day. I know you were there every day, yeah. but I was there all day. You you came and got me and spent time, and then we went home because you were still working. Yeah. Well, um, I don't recall there being a radio there, and I don't recall music. But when we came back, um, they had moved Liam to another place because just to for our sake, they had moved his isolate to right they they don't have you area. walk back to the same place you were right. see the missing just, spot and just too hard know, and they're like so we for, do this which is for several that's a shocking amount of compassion uh, and foresight yes they, well again compassion this, that was brilliant they are they are phenomenal at this and they they just you know because at first i was just like oh my god why'd you move liam they're like this is what we do everything is fine he's doing well you know because i'm freaking out no, no, it's okay. So they had him at a different location, and, and it was several days went by. We had visited him at a different location, and then we came back, and he was back at the original location where Nicholas was right next to him. And where Nicholas would have been was empty, mm-hmm. and the radio was right above where his bed mm-hmm. was. 
And when we walked in, the song Longer Than was playing. Yep. Now, I take that as a supernatural thing, because the odds, I don't know how to calculate that, of a oldie being played at the same time that we walk into that NICU. To me, that was Nicholas's echoing back to us his sentiment. Mm-hmm. He was replying to us. And it was in the same location where he passed away. Now, I again, I, I cannot see that as being anything that would come under the the banner of coincidence. To me, that was a spiritual coincidence. And it was his way of saying, I'm okay. I love you too. Yeah. So what went on with Liam? Oh, geez. From there, it never stopped for Liam. It was, <laughs> we had, uh, oh, I know. uh, a, a, what was it? Was it Nick? What is it? The death of the bowel, the perforation of the bowel. Yeah. He blew up like a bowling ball. His his belly but was... But they couldn't determine why. They didn't know why. We just see this kid looks like he's just about to burst because he's filled, and they can't figure yeah. out why. And we're saying... You know, well, the, you know the stave puff on the Ghostbusters? Yeah, he looked how like... How puffed that. up he was? That's what Liam looked like. His skin was shiny. It was so tight and taut. He was he was running a fever. He was, you know, they're like, there's an infection, but we can't find it. He's not responding. We don't know what this is. And he's not doing things that he should be doing. And um, FYI, none of the things that Liam has ever developed, did he ever do it according to the textbooks? Right. Ever. Yeah, that makes sense. Liam doesn't like to, you know go along with things like expectations or plans. Right. So, so finally yeah. they saw air bubbles and were like, yeah. aha, a perforation, let's go. So they had, again, another emergency surgery, number 73 or something, I don't know. And we're sitting there. And I, I tell you, one thing I, I did learn, when you're sitting in the waiting room for the surgery that might take four or five, six hours, whatever it took, I don't know. You, you learn, you become very attentive of the doctors that are walking out after the surgery because you're not getting a play-by-play. No. And so when you see your doctor walk out, there is so much that you focus on the face to see if there's, you're reading body it language. before they even say anything, your body language, how they're walking, whether there's any look in their eye or whatever. And it just, it, it's, uh, it's really intense in, um. You know, so they come out and they mentioned it was a perforated bowel and they had to remove some of the, uh, the intestine and, and resect it. They didn't have to, I guess he was, uh, had a ileostomy for a while, but they could re, they connect. And then they, they reattached. Him. Yeah. And so he's, he's normal in that regard. Um, and but, then his shunt was malfunctioning. Right. Then, yeah. We and had so to they had to keep and, doing different shunts on different sides of his head. And uh, because you can't put it back right in the hole where it was, you got to move it. And it's like, oh my God, he's got these holes all in his head. His... A kid will never be uh, have his head shaved because there's too many scars there. We just like the fact that he has lots of hair. Mm. But he's had his head shaved when he's yeah. had to have shots. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've back seen and... him. We nicknamed yeah. him Fuzzy. Right. Yeah. And then um, he they couldn't wean him off the oxygen. He just he would be you know. Very low, minimal, minimal, minimal. They'd take it away, and his he would desat immediately. So they put him back on the oxygen, and 
it was like, oh my gosh. But never anywhere near the levels that, that Nicholas had yeah, in terms he, of oxygen. But, you know, but it was like, we should be able to take this away. But There's practically nothing couldn't. there, but for yeah, some but reason he liked it. He, yeah, it, we had to keep that one in. And it's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So. so, yeah, I mean, it was back and forth and back and forth. And then even after we brought him home, which was in January? Mm-hmm. Uh, was it three, four days later? Or? One week, seven One days. One week, seven days later, he was seven back days. in with uh, with spinal meningitis, yeah. which was like, oh my God. Then yeah. he had this little baby in a room in isolation and people walking there in hazmat suits and everything. It was just, it, it was, uh, some of it's gross. I don't want to talk about the drainage plugs and everything. It, it was, was just, just, it was too much. Very it was, overwhelming. It was too much. Very so, you know, we were traumatized. I think it started obviously in uh, October and ran through October, November, December, January, February, March, and then things just settled down to chaos, you know, uh, <laughs> but it went from critical to chaos and chaos looks pretty good after you've been through the rest of it. <laughs> it's like, whew, okay, it's some breather here. Um, we brought him home. Uh, they didn't have any monitors on him and he was in our bedroom right at the foot of the bed and we kept waking up to see as he moving, as he breathing, because yep. we're scared to death. I mean, we saw all these wires and tubes and stuff and all these machines and things that were so necessary before. And now he's laying there. He was bigger, but he still was tiny. And it's like, can't you give us a monitor or something to go with it just for our sake, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah insurance it, doesn't pay for that. <laughs> no, no, but it, so, yeah, that that was our story of, um, you know, the end of Nicholas's life and the beginning of Liam's, which did not start out what we ever imagined in our textbook fantasy idea of, you know, how it should be coming home and having the blue room with all the little baby boy stuff. And mm, yeah. So jumping back in, mm. um, when did Liam come home? The first time he came home in January, and then he had to go back, and he was home for seven days. He was back in the hospital for 14 days, and then back home again. Then we started the uh, physical therapy pretty much right away. And that went on forever. Oh, yeah. Still does sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yep, because of his cerebral palsy, uh, his muscles, um, he has spasticity, and so it affects them, and if you don't use it, you lose it. And I don't know if this was mentioned before, uh, but uh, the uh, encephalite, no, it's not. Hydro, hydrocephalus. Yeah. Okay. He's hydrocephalic, which is water on the brain, because when he was born, he had bleeds, intracranial bleeds, uh, grade four on the right side and grade three on the left side. Five? Four and five. Four and five. Okay. I don't know how far you can go, but I think that's pretty much to the highest level of the scale. Which, um, what happens is the uh, the brain fluid and the blood that resulted from basically a massive stroke at birth could not drain as it normally would through someone's spinal column because of the uh, the damage. And so that's where they have to put a shunt in, which is, of course, a tube that runs from the skull under from the, the brain. skin. From the brain. Yeah, from the brain. Under the skin, down into the abdomen in his case, where it would uh, be absorbed by the body through the abdominal cavity. 
And so he has cerebral palsy from birth and then hydrocephalus from birth. And it would be several years later that we would get the diagnosis of autism because two wasn't enough. Mm. And then? Well, you know, Liam, he likes to collect things. Right. Yeah. I mean, he added on, or what was it, in um, 2004 did he add epilepsy or was that earlier? No, I think that's about right. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was 14 at the time. That was that was a, a nightmare for a different day. We'll talk about that one, yeah. but well, that that's a that's a different nightmare for the moment. Yeah. So, Liam comes home for 7 days, then he goes back in. Right. When did he come home again? Uh, after 14 days. Okay. So, so I think we're in the, January. I think we're in February now. February. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, February, Liam finally gets to come home. And that's where we were paranoid because, uh, once again, he had a very serious illness with, with spinal meningitis. And when he came home, again, we're still faced with the idea there's no monitors. Um, it's, I mean, the, the crisis that happened, we never thought about spinal meningitis. We're thinking about apnea. We're thinking about him stopping breathing uh, in the middle of the night. And then we get hit with the uh, spinal meningitis instead. And I forgot how that manifested itself. Was it a high fever or something? Right. Know. It was very high fever. And um, he was having pressure uh, because he was doing some sundowning, which is where the eyes, yeah. he can't look up. He would he, he couldn't look up to his eyebrows. Uh, yeah, yeah. I know I know that one from a shunt malfunction preparedness training. Yes, yes. So, you know, we, we, we went back to the hospital because he was sundowning and had a fever. And uh, that's when they admitted him. So... Um, it was just, you know, then, so then it was back home and then talking to the neurologists and everything, they just, they were, were like, you know, well, what, what can we expect? What, what is this, what is this life going to look like? What is this going to be like? And they were just like, yeah, we don't know. I'll tell you one thing they didn't say. And I, as I've visited with other families and parents over the years and heard some of the horrible prognosis that doctors would say, well, he'll probably never walk. He'll probably never talk. He'll never be able to do this. She'll never be able to do that. It seems like there's so many stories about physicians saying what your child will not be able to do. And we had some amazing doctors at the Children's mm -hmm. Hospital oh, yeah. in ICU. And um, one of them in particular, Dr. Ogata, a Japanese-American. And uh, when we asked him these questions, that he just the said- the next thing we were going to get into was talking about Dr. Ogata. Right. So the, the first thing, he says, we don't know. He might walk with a limp. He might not be able to walk. He might be able to, he might have, uh, he, he could be a genius. He could have some mental delays. We don't know. He gave us the ability to hope and to have higher expectations, which is, is the best way to start out. Of course, then when you don't attain any of those expectations, you go through this trauma of loss again over a period of years because this didn't happen, that didn't happen, that didn't happen. But there's also triumphs during those age, those times too. There was things he was able to do. So it's just, just a mixed bag. But but we were not tall. We're not, they didn't approach us from a standpoint of deficit. It was a matter of there's a lot of potential. We don't know what the potential is going to be. And I think that was a blessing. We had doctors who understood the bedside manner, how to talk to parents, 
what was going on emotionally with us. They really knew that. And I tell you, what's amazing, the, the emotional response we got from the respiratory therapists and the doctors and all of them and the staff there was because they realized that we had been there every single day visiting with Nicholas and for Liam. And they had said there are many times a baby comes in there born from a mother who is addicted to crack cocaine or some other horrible background, and they never see the mother. They never come to visit until the day they're discharged. And meanwhile, these nurses get very, very close to the people they're treating. And they'd see these babies, and they would just fall in love with everything. And then the, the crack mother would come in to pick them up. And that was really, really hard for them. So when they saw us there, and I'm not saying we're the only ones that were loving parents, but the contrast of what they had to work with, they saw us there. They saw our honesty. They are, we were very visible with the pain because we didn't know how to hide that anyway. Naturally, they were crying. We had respiratory therapists that were in tears when they walked by us when Liam was when Nicholas was passing away and when Liam was going through crisis. Um. So it was, it was really, it was amazing the support we got from the people there. And I, to this day, I'm just, I can't remember all the names, but I just remember that they were wonderful people. And who knows, one of them might listen to this and remember it. <laughs> could be, could be. Yeah. You never know, you never know. Right. Well, we've made our way almost all the way through to February. Uh, we've talked about well some pretty tough stuff in this episode. Uh, I think that we're going to end the punishment for now, and we'll pick this up again. I think episode three will probably do early February. Sounds good. That sound good to you? Sure. All right. Well, folks, uh, we'd like to thank you for listening to our story. Next week, we'll be getting back to our regularly scheduled programs and reviews and whatnot. But if you have any questions or honestly, if anyone ever wants to share their experiences just with a community that understands, that's why we have our Facebook page, our Facebook group, and our community there. Thank you all for tuning in and uh, we'll roll the credits now. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for tuning in to Navigating Life as We Know It. I'm Alex and usually I'm the producer working behind the scenes. The hosts of the show are Steve and Carrie Johnson, though today they got to play the part of the guests. I'd like to thank Holly for being our design and web support guru on the show, and Daniela Munoz for all her work as our research and communications intern. She makes my job a whole lot easier on the backside. We'd like to invite you, as always, to join our conversation on Facebook, and if you'd like to support the show, please look up our Patreon and consider a sustaining donation. Even a dollar a month can go a long way. Navigating Life as We Know It is a production of Envision Media Group, LLC.